again, and welcome to the Les Represent podcast, a podcast where we talk about everything lesbian and lady-loving queer, our experiences, our stories, and what representation means to us. Today, I have a super special guest with me, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi there, this is Dark Wiccan, aka DW, the host of the Earp Fiction Addiction podcast, the podcast all about Winona Earp fan fiction. I also go by the name Jen. For the Fandress Fan Bus, where I am the co-planner, along with my buddy Christy. That sounds like a lot that you do. Can you explain more what you do for? We do for that. For the for the Fan Bus or for yes. the podcast? The, the fan everything. Bus. Tell me everything, everything that you ever do ever. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Uh, well, let's start with the Fan Bus. That's a little quicker. Uh, so the Fandress Fan Bus is a party bus that. Uh, goes around to uh, conventions um, and fans of Emily Andrus, who is the showrunner for Winona Earp, uh, can purchase tickets to ride on the party bus and uh, party out with some other Earpers. I call it the kick-ass Earper meetup on wheels. We will cruise through a, the downtown area of whatever city we happen to be in and uh, back to our starting point and everybody gets to listen to music from the show and chat with each other and have a really great time. Uh, so that's the Fandress Fan Bus, and our bus is actually headed to Acon Canada. That's Erper Homestead Canada uh, Convention in Canada. Uh, we're very, very excited to be there um, coming up in August. So tickets are still on sale at FandressFanBus.com. Let me get that plug in there. Uh, and as far as the Erp Fiction Addiction podcast, I am pretty much responsible for the entire show. Uh, except for Delaney, <laughs> who is my fabulous co-host, who I forced to be my co-host. I basically said, I've come up with this idea for a podcast because there are so many incredible uh, fan fictions out there for the Winona Earp fandom. And I said, there are so many and these authors deserve to, you know, basically be lifted up and shared with, with everybody in the community. So I said, I'm starting a podcast to do this. Delaney, you're going to be my co-host. You have no choice. So deal. Uh, I will take 98% of the work. All you got to do is show up and be my co-host once a week, and uh, we'll go from there. So I am the, uh, I am the scheduler. I am the producer. I am the editor. I am the host, and Delaney keeps me sane by showing up and talking with me about these fantastic uh, stories, so that I'm not just sitting there talking to myself. That's fantastic. I mean, that's kind of how we got in contact because I interviewed Delaney and she she had nothing but good things to say about you. She didn't quite tell the story like that. Um, <laughs> I see both sides of the story now and it makes a little more sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, we, I talked a lot about with Delaney about like everything. It was just a wild ride of tangents that was fantastic and wonderful. And you happened to mention that your your story, like how you came out and your experiences were so much different than hers. And I would like to touch a little bit on that, because that's one of the fun parts of being part of the LGBT community, is while we all have things similar, we all also have very different facets in our life and come through it very differently than others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything particular about my coming out story that you're interested in, or just kind of a general bio? We can start from the beginning, go through it, and then stop at the end. <laughs> well, anything, okay, so just anything you're willing to share, basically. And so we can go, well, let's start with how you realized gay was a thing. Oh, okay. Well, um, I talk about this a lot on, on my podcast. Uh, I am a theater person. <laughs> I'm a child of the theater. I was actually very nearly born backstage. 
Um, wow. I, yeah, it was a very exciting time. I was actually ultimately born in a hospital, but very nearly born backstage. And uh, both of my parents are professional actors. Uh, my father is actually also a award-winning playwright and director. And so I grew up um, in that world, which is a very liberal, very open-minded world, and there are quite a lot of uh, gay people in that world. Uh, more prevalent, you see gay men uh, than you do uh, lesbians. Lesbians are usually backstage. Really? Uh, yeah. Why Not, do you think yeah. that is? Well, I think it's a an aesthetic thing, quite honestly. Um, you know, there's this sort of uh, understood aesthetic that, for the most part, if you are identifiable on site as being a queer woman, you're going to most likely have a shorter haircut, most likely dress in a more masculine way. Uh, you may also be a little heavy set. And as a result, these are not ideals for casting directors when they're casting shows. That isn't to say that there aren't a lot of very, very successful women who meet that description uh, who are gay or queer or on the spectrum somewhere um, who are on stage and performing on stage. Uh, but really, especially coming up in the 80s, and the times I'm describing here are from the 80s. I, I was born in, in the late 70s and grew up in the 80s and the 90s. So you really didn't see a lot of especially out queer women on stage, uh, but you did see them backstage. Uh, usually doing some sort of lighting design <laughs> or stagecraft, something like that, and very, very identifiable in their flannels uh, <laughs> with their short haircuts. Yeah. Um, and generally tending toward more soft butch to butch sort of represent, you know, presentation of themselves. Uh, but my first awareness of gay as a, as a identifying characteristic, uh, was when I was around four or five years old. Uh, my father was the artistic director for a theater company in, uh, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Gaslight Theater Company, mm -hmm. who he actually, sorry, little tangent. Um, he, uh, when he was the artistic director there, uh, Kristen Chenoweth uh, auditioned for him multiple times, uh, but he could not cast her, and he kept telling her that he could not cast her because she was underage, and this venue was a venue that served alcohol during the performances. So as a result, everyone on stage had to be at least 21 years old. She was auditioning at around 14, and he kept telling her, listen, you're fantastic, you're terrific, I can't cast you, I'm so sorry, you're amazing, this is not the venue for you. <laughs> And uh, for, very for, the people, for the people listening, who is who is this lady? Oh, so Kristen Chenoweth uh, is most famously known as Gilda in Wicked. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's gone on to do quite a lot in in Hollywood, um, and so so much so that I can't actually list everything off because I would just I could really just pull up her IMDb page and just rattle it off at you. Uh, but yeah, Kristen Chenoweth, uh, famously the original Gilda in Wicked on Broadway, opposite um, Adina Menzel wow. as Alpha. Yeah. Uh, so she, she's kind of a big dealish now. And uh, one of my dad's friends in the industry uh, is also friends with her. And um, my dad said, you know, told, told him this story, told his buddy this story. And he went, oh, my gosh, that's so interesting. He reached out to Christian and Christian was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. What a small world. You have to understand that at that time, people looked up to, insert my dad's name here, as a god. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, this was in the central of part of Oklahoma, so it's not that big of a thing. But it's really cool to think that uh, Kristen Chenoweth, uh, uh, you know, had that opinion of my father and, and still remembered him. That was pretty nifty. But anyway, so my dad was the artistic director for this uh, for this theater company, the Gaslight Theater Company. And the costumer or I should say head of wardrobe there, a uh, guy by the name of Mickey, uh, was an out gay man. Um and, and so he was my first uh, kind of understanding of that gay is something that can be used to identify someone um, if, 
you know, uh, I, I knew he had a boyfriend. Uh, oh, that's Mickey's boyfriend. His name was Mickey. That's Mickey's boyfriend, kind of things like that. Um, and Mickey was just the sweetest, kindest guy. And he actually made me a cat's costume for my uh, my Halloween that year. Aww. And I still I could still tell you what it felt like to wear it. It would, had such an interesting feel to it. Um, uh, well, I, I, I guess maybe I can't really describe it, but I personally can. The sense memory still exists. Wow. Uh, in fact, just sitting here talking about it, I can I can f- feel what what the material felt like against my skin. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Memory is weird, right? I can't even remember um, what I ate like this morning. <laughs> You're like, let me tell you about this costume I wore like ten years ago. I don't even. I'm not putting an age on you. <laughs> yeah, no worries. It's fine. Uh, but uh, uh, so so yeah, Mickey was the first man I ever knew, first adult I ever knew who identified as gay, and and very sadly he did pass away uh, due to complications of AIDS um, oh. shortly after we we moved on to another. Uh, basically, growing up in the theater, uh, you go where the work is, and the work is typically seasonal, and you just sort of follow the money, essentially. You follow where you can go to, to get work, and it was the same for my family. So we ended up leaving um, Tulsa uh, and moving on to another uh, – my dad moved on to another project, and shortly afterwards, Mickey unfortunately passed away. And then, so basically, I had the introduction to gay and the introduction to AIDS um, in very, very short order at a very, very young age. Now, the first lesbian uh, woman I ever met was another coworker of my father's. This was, uh, he had been hired as the morning, uh, ha- as as the second half of the morning show team uh, for a radio show, radio station in Huntsville, Alabama, WBHP. And one of the other DJs there was, uh, I cannot remember her name. See, I can remember clothing, but I can't remember her name. Uh, but no. she... Uh, she identified a lesbian. She referred to her uh, wife as her wife. And this was again in the mid 1980s and nobody batted an eyelash. And wow. this again was, this again was in Alabama. It was in Northern Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama, which is sort of the Silicon Valley of, of the South. Uh, so it's a lot more liberal, but oh, wow. yeah, nobody batted an eye. And so for me, it was normal. And uh, it was just, you know, you know <laughs> it, it wasn't unusual to me at all. Um, it's just people are people, you know, <laughs> this is so-and-so and her wife, such and such. It's like, okay, great. Yeah. That's wonderful. So, yeah, yeah. And not a story that you get often in the South, typically. It, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Especially like, I just, I had like this moment today where we had, we actually had guests over. We usually don't like to have guests because we're in the middle, the middle of nowhere. No one wants to come out in the middle of nowhere to hang out for like an hour. Um, <laughs> we, we had guests that came over and they're, my, my wife works for them. She like mm-hmm. she like they're plum- they're like a very local small plumbing company and she like does all their bookkeeping and stuff, and they came over and they were like riding our horses and doing stuff with us and you know she kept calling over to me and she's like honey can you do this for me honey can you do that and it's just like, it was this beautiful moment where she kept calling me affectionate names that we would only call each other in private, because mm-hmm. they already knew we were out, and it, like they yeah. already knew that we were together they knew that we were married you know they've known us for a long time and it was just so beautiful to hear her say those things to me while other people were around like it was just it was so normalized in that moment and it like made me tear up and I'm just like what kind of a world do I live in where something like that is just gonna make me have to go inside and cry well that's you know it's so interesting my wife and I talk about this uh a lot and and other friends of mine if you listen to my podcast in addition to Delaney to Delaney when Delaney's not available I have a stand-in co-host uh and her name's Lara and mm-hmm. she and I will chat uh, quite often about how straight people have no idea. They yeah. literally have no idea. 
how much we self-censor ourselves for their benefit. Yeah. And, and for our protection. But it, it's it's one of those things where um, Kat Burrell, who played... Are you familiar with Winona Earp? Yeah. Okay. Like, not, well, Kat, not very, not, like, in-depth, which I should be by now. I have no excuses for myself, but... Yeah, we need to fix that. Uh... <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> now I have to fight off two people because Delaney gets on me all the time and she's like, you need to hurry up and start watching this. <laughs> you really do. You really do. Um, absolutely. It'll change your life. It would change mine. Uh, you know, and I'll touch on that, you know, I guess later, but mm-hmm. Caporell who plays uh, officer Nicole hot, who's one half of the main uh, romantic mm-hmm. relationship on the series uh, between Waverly Earp and Nicole hot Caporell recently said at Clexicon that um, when she finally, and I'm paraphrasing, gro- I'm grossly paraphrasing here, but essentially what she said was it had never occurred to her that LGBTQ people didn't have the ability, didn't see themselves represented in media growing up. So it was just not something that we experienced. We didn't see reflections of ourselves. And she said when she realized that, it made her so angry. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I mean, Cabarel is a true, the true definition of the word ally. She really is. Because when she was cast as Nicole Hot, she started learning. And, and she is a fierce advocate for the LGBT community. We couldn't have asked for a better ally in her and Dominique, who plays Waverly. Mm-hmm. And just, she had the entire room in tears, except for me, because I'm a cold-hearted bitch. But she had the entire room. <laughs> It takes a lot to get me to cry. It really, it takes a lot. I cannot even tell you. <laughs> there are so many times where like people around me are sobbing, rightfully so, and I'm just like, I am evil. <laughs> I, I recognize the depth of this moment, but I just, the waterworks just aren't going to happen. But I feel, I feels ya, but I just, the tears, I can't express it physically in this instance. Put me on stage in a role where I have to cry on command. No problem. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, that's but some... it, it's awesome. You have an awesome talent. <laughs> uh, I can tell you the secret. You want me to tell you the secret to how I cry on command? Tell me the secret. I trick myself into thinking I'm about to sneeze and I have to hold it in, and that oh causes my, my tear ducts to react. You're yeah. a genius. <laughs> <laughs> we got a mastermind it's... here. Yeah. <laughs> But, but yeah, no, there, there really wasn't, especially in the eighties and, you know, it's, I mean, gosh, even going back even further, you know, to our, to our four, four lesbians and, and four <laughs> queers, you know, to, to our elder states dykes, we, they, no, none of them had any really form of positive representation at all in any form. The closest they could get were pulp novels were guaranteed one of one or both of the characters would die. So oh it's God. like, you know. It's just something that straight people have no idea. They have no idea how much we self-censor ourselves in public. And I've gotten to the point, my wife and I have never been ones to self-censor. We really, unless we're in front of people who we know are conservative and could cause us a serious problem, mm-hmm. we rarely, rarely self-censor. And as a result, we are literally the most affectionate couple, gay couple, I have ever seen in my life. That's amazing. Like, I wish I could just be around you guys and watch, because I've seen so many, so many tweets and so many, I've had so many stories with people where it's like they saw gay couples in the street and they just watched them. And it wasn't because they were like, like, 
they didn't want to make them uncomfortable and they didn't want to make them feel like they're being like judged or anything but they just watched them in public because god it's so nice to see that out in public and it's like there's no right way to walk up to somebody in a grocery store and be like i swear to god i was staring at you guys because you were cute not because i didn't like you <laughs> yeah. like, there's no polite way to do that in the dairy aisle so right i mean what are you like, gonna do just so you know i wasn't staring daggers i was gasping in awe <laughs> i was sitting here trying not to applaud because it's a little awkward here yeah yeah but you know i think that it's one of those those daring choices that we have to make as queer people we have to make the choice to be open in public despite the risks because the more our uh, presence and the reality of our existence is made public and validated the fewer people can say, well, I've never met a gay person before, you know? I can't believe or, anyone can actually fucking say that today. There are people who say that today. And it's like, no, honey, you have, but for their own safety, they didn't reveal themselves to you. And I guess that's absolutely true because my, my grandmother, God bless her heart, um, claims that she had never met a gay person before and her whole, she's so quaint in her way of thinking um is just like you know it's just not it's just not natural honey like you don't see birds going off into i don't know why my accent just went from british to country all of a sudden i apologize for that <laughs> my, that's, that's all right anyway my wife is british everything gets really confusing all the time um but oh, she, where is she from sorry sorry uh, sorry no no it's perfectly fine these tangents are perfectly fine she's from uh she was born around shortly which the closest, biggest town to there is, like, Manchester. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. cool. I said I'm trying to place that accent in my mind because I actually collect accents. I did a horrible job, so there was no collecting anything. That would be yeah. categorized under fail. Um, <laughs> I, they, it's so fun because when I talk to my in-laws, it's very difficult. For people who speak the same language as me, it is very very no one told me that in england that you have the people in the south who speak the queen's language like harry potter but then everyone up north speaks something completely different they and the fur the further north you get the more interesting it gets oh my gosh my, my oh. favorite is the wiltshire accent it sounds a bit like this that's my favorite one because it's the closest to the way that shakespeare spoke oh my gosh it almost sounded it almost sounded like cockney for like two seconds I don't know enough about it. I am not the authority on anything of that. I know that when I can always tell when my wife has spoken to her parents at some point in the day because their accent will get like ridiculous. Um, it's it's so fun. No one ever told me that they would just drop entire consonants while they're talking. And it's just, I just remember the first time I met my in-laws, I had to like stare, like stare very intensely at my mother-in-law because when she spoke it was so hard to understand her like my wife came here and she's like you Americans speak so slow <laughs> <laughs> like she was like it's like I, I don't she's like I understand why now that Americans just don't get anything done is because you guys speak so slowly <laughs> oh my gosh that's hilarious my wife has she's she has a lot of opinions on America, regardless of the fact that she lives here. And, there, and I, and sadly enough, I can't disagree with any of those opinions. Like she's like you, she's like Americans are so ridiculous. Like they try not to 
they try to front that they're not stupid. It's like, but you guys literally call the blinking light on your cars blinkers instead of indicators. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because we're describing the action that they do. Yeah, but it's just so funny. They blink. Exactly. It's just like, oh, it blinks. It's called a blinker. And I'm just like, honey, I understand. Well, they call car hoods bonnets and the trunks boots. How does that make sense? Car boot sales. Those are a trip. <laughs> I mean, at least at car boot sales in England, you can literally pick up like something for like, oh, I don't know the equivalent. I don't know the market for it anymore but you can pick up like a bag of coins and it turns out one of those coins are like worth like a hundred dollars here in the u.s freaking you go to any kind of garage sale here you'll be lucky to find anything that's like five dollars america does not have good antiques at all we don't we're not we old enough awful. yet <laughs> I mean, we have enough imports that we should have some kind of in antiques that are decent but it's just like I, we have i have a horrible addiction with watching antique shows from over <laughs> over the pond me too. Me too. I just, love it. I'm a huge Anglophile. I love BBC. I Do you watch yeah. um, Bargain Hunt? Yes. That is our jam. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's hard to watch it now that Tom's not there because for some reason, or was it Tim? Oh man, I am bad with names tonight. But it was so hard to watch it without the main host that's usually there. Like, they switched hosts since then. It's really hard for me to watch. But I just, I love it. I love all of them. I love Anita. I was like, she is the grandmother I wish I always had in my life. <laughs> I mean, you know who I'm talking about, right? I'm not just talking to myself. <laughs> no, I, I, I do know who you're talking about. The funny thing is, is I didn't actually remember their names. So now oh. I'm having to quickly apply names to faces. Um, Anita's the Scottish one. She's like the older oh, Scottish oh, lady. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. It, it's so funny. Like, I, I love those shows. And like, I love the little history segment they have in there. And it's just like, you have like antique kind of shows here and it's just like storage wars you go in there and they're like <laughs> okay you have an hour to find three items that we can sell at market let's have a small segment about how i tell you how this thing is like a priceless antique and how i found it for like a quid or some crazy <laughs> shit and i love it i absolutely adore the show and anita i think they like i, I learned fun little tidbits like she was like the first female auctioneer in scotland like, oh, wow. I was like, I didn't know that that was, I didn't know that that was a very, of course, like most occupations, it's a very gender dominated thing, but she was like the very first one in Scotland. And I think, I think they said that uh, after she became like the head auctioneer in her auction house, like twice as many female auctioneers just started popping up all over the place. Like, that's just another wonderful thing that people don't understand about representation that once mm -hmm. we see it once, people realize that it's a thing that you can do. And just yes. so much more happens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. See, we got somehow back on track. Good job. <laughs> Woo! High five. Way to bring it back around. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Took me a long time to learn that skill, and I'm still not quite there. Speaking of which, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm currently in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I'm not sure. I think you're somewhere in the Southeast. Yes, I am yes. in Texas. So. It's... Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned that before. Um, I you might have, but I speak with so many people across the country and the world that I it all kind of just mushes into one giant world. Basically, like I spoke from someone from Argentina, and I was like, yeah, they're like underneath us, right? The same time zone. Nope, that is not where Argentina is. Argentina nope. is way over there. It's even past New York. And I was like, what? 
I don't yep. I don't know geography at all. Here's my <laughs> worst subject ever. Uh, it's like you asked me to find anything in the United States, period, that's up past like Alabama and I don't know what's up there. I'm just like it's up north somewhere. <laughs> It's like, it's somewhere up in there. I couldn't even tell you what was on the East Coast because I'm just like, it's too many tiny places. <laughs> I'm used to driving four hours in any direction and still being in Texas, okay? You just can't do that when you're up there. Like, you drive two hours and you're, like, past Pennsylvania and you're like, how did we get here? <laughs> oh, man. I used to work for a company uh, in uh, northern Pennsylvania and uh, while living in Las Vegas, Nevada. So I was literally commuting Oof. to Pennsylvania once a month for about a week at a time. And then I'd go back to Nevada and we had a, a local office there. Uh, but frequently uh, when I was in uh, Pennsylvania, I would make it a point of renting a car and driving up to New York City to catch some Broadway shows. And... Um, I was always so funny because you'd basically just drive, you drive north, you drive up from Pennsylvania, through Delaware, through New Jersey, and then boop, you're in, you're in New York City, and it is a two-hour drive. <laughs> That's absolutely through. crazy. Like, I, yeah. I took the most insane journey of my life and went up to Niagara Falls and back within, like, I wouldn't even say 48 hours. It was supposed to be a 48-hour span of time. That's freaking impossible. Don't try it. It's dangerous. <laughs> um, but I, we got up there and we got back and we didn't really stop anywhere but to sleep. I think I stopped in Chicago once to like fall asleep. Not even Chicago. It was Cleveland. I remember because I went to a gas station. I was asking somebody where we were and they were like, you're in a bad neighborhood. And I was like, ah, well, I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that information. Can you be a little more specific? Street names? Neighborhood call? Anything? What's the neighborhood call? And they're yeah. like the... the we freaking lost signal somewhere in Cleveland. It was awful. And they were like, the highway's that way. And I'm like, okay. I should have told by the bars on the window that it was not a good neighborhood. They had, even, they had one door in the gas station, and it was really just to let the person in. And then they were just like in a booth covered by bars. That, oh, sounds, that sounds like a great place to be um, all night long. Yeah, no problem. Uh, but anyway, I, we drove all the way up there, and it like literally a quarter of our drive was just getting out of Texas. It was like the most agonizing thing ever because my wife is from England. So you drive two hours in any direction where she pretty much grew up in and you're at the ocean mm -hmm. here. You drive like two hours in any direction. You're still in Texas and back to the, <laughs> the town centers and any town you go into, that's not a big town looks the freaking same. You feel like you're <laughs> driving in circles. There's like pastures, there's some trees Depending which direction, they, you might start seeing some hills. You might get into a desert. It's it's just like, oh, it's the same. It's huge. It's humongous. We're I love. I, I once sent my sister in law a picture of Texas on top of uh, places in Europe, and we took up like half of Europe almost. That's over exaggerating. It was like a quarter of Europe, and they were just like, "How do you live there?" <laughs> I don't know. It's huge. Anyway, but seriously, once we got out of Texas, like, every other state just, like, disappeared within, like, one fill-up. And I was like, wow, it's like we stop in every state just so we can fill up on gas and then we keep going. <laughs> it's like, you can get, easily get lost here. I think I took a wrong turn somewhere in Cincinnati and ended up in Indiana. And I was like, we're not going the right way. <laughs> we didn't pass by here on the way. This is the opposite direction of the way we should be going right now. Uh, but that being said, I have awful sense of direction. <laughs> <laughs> can follow directions. I can't make sense of them, though. Um, 
we got off on again. <laughs> anyway, so you you've seemed to have traveled around a lot since your <laughs> since you were a thespian, would you say? Yes. <laughs> so uh, you traveled around a lot. Did you see a lot of cultural differences, especially with the LGBT oh. community? Because you said you were from a northern part of Alabama, and it was surprisingly pretty cool up there. But did you move to other places and just get kind of just shocked by the different in culture? Yes and no. Um, yeah, okay, so I've lived in Alabama, New York, Oklahoma, California, Nevada, and now up in the Pacific Northwest. So I, yeah, I've been to quite a lot of very, very different places. I would have to say that uh, as a queer person, as someone who recognizes that they were queer, <laughs> uh, the most surprising place that you would expect to be very welcoming. Um, and this, and, I mean, you know, I've heard that it's gotten better, uh, but I haven't been there in many years, uh, except for conventions, is Las Vegas. I lived, in Las, I lived in Las Vegas for 12 years. You would expect that Las Vegas would be another kind of gay mecca because it's very wild and free and open to tourists. I imagine Las Vegas <laughs> would be that. Probably not the the whole of Nevada. Yeah. It's like a bunch so, of desert out there, right? Yeah, it's, it's all brown. Ah, it's just dirt. It's just fantastic. dirt from miles. But so yeah, it's great if you're a tourist. Mm -hmm. If you live there, it is extremely conservative. There are m the highest number of churches per capita, I think, of any state. You're in sure. A, in a, mm hmm. Probably because the state's small. Like, there's, like, a church on every corner here. I'm not kidding yeah. you. <laughs> uh, no, I believe you. Uh, but I think it's, it's per capita. So it's by the population size. So oh. the the population to church ratio um, is is highest. Uh, it, or at least it was, well, you know, um, not long ago. That may have changed at this point. But it is very, very Mormon. Hmm. There's actually a temple there. And, um, and people aren't very nice because they have to be nice to strangers all day long. Hmm. So when they get back to their neighborhoods, they don't want to have to be that anymore. It's a strange there is, world there. Very strange. Uh, there is, there is a gay and lesbian community center. It is incredibly dysfunctional. Oh no. And based on what I've heard very recently... Uh, from someone who who tried to deal with them, it is st still incredibly dysfunctional. And the thing about it is, there are queer bars, there are gay bars, there are lesbian bars, but that's pretty much it. If you are looking for community, and if you're not someone who goes to bars like myself, like my wife, it is very, 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 very difficult to find other gay people and other queer people to build mm -hmm. community with. So that was a shock. <laughs> because when I first moved to Las Vegas, I had just come out and I was thinking what perfect timing this is the city to be out in. Mm -mm. Oh no. No. Thank you for letting me know. I know that Clexicon happens there now and I would only hope that that would change things, but that's a once a year event. That's so. once a year. And it's on the strip. It's in what's called the resort corridor. And that is where everything is fine. Everything's peachy keen swell. No problem. You start to filter off into the surrounding suburbs where it is really just people living their lives day to day, trying to get by, and it is a completely different scenario. Wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're going there as a tourist, you're fine. Don't worry about it. 
be open, be free, kiss each other, you know, <laughs> uh, in public, hold hands. You're fine. You're safe. Um, but if you're living there, it's rough. You can go in more into that if you want to. This is actually the first I've heard of this. And I guess I've never really taken that into consideration. I know that living in Las Vegas is very difficult in general. Like, the market is awful, but everything's still expensive. Yeah, it's um, it's a mess. Uh, the housing bubble crisis uh, hit Las Vegas the hardest, I think, of really any Western state. Um, and it was really difficult to get through. Uh, I moved to Las Vegas in... Uh, late 19 or mid 1997. I had just graduated from high school. Um, and after living there for two years, I was trying desperately to figure out a way to get out. Mm. And it took me another, it took me another 10 years to get out. Now I'm well, glad that I, yeah, I'm glad that I, that's the thing about Vegas too. If you move there, it's sort of, you get stuck. <laughs> um, and, uh, I'm glad that it took me as long as it did though. Cause otherwise I wouldn't have met my wife. Um, if I had gotten out any earlier, but, uh, yeah, we, uh, she was born and raised there. Uh, and so for her, it was even more kind of a desperation of, we have to get out of here. And, uh, luckily enough, I had a, a, a job opportunity up here in the Pacific Northwest and, uh, it was an excellent one and they paid to move us. And I said, okay, let's go pack your bags. We're leaving. Wow. Um, and we've been up here for about, uh, eight years at this point. So, and loving it and no plans to ever move ever, ever, ever again, except to maybe sell our current home and move into an even nicer home. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. Well, thank you. But wow. That's a, that's an interesting story. I, mean, <laughs> I guess, I guess Texas is slightly the opposite of that. Meaning that you come here and you expect everyone to be toting guns and to be nasty because it's a very red state. But it really all depends on where you're going in Texas. Like, um, Austin is very liberal, very, very pro-people, very, um, it's basically a college town. People will fight me on this, but it's essentially a college town, the whole freaking place. Mm -hmm. um, and, but it's it's very liberal. It's very, like, you go there, and, like, the whole slogan of Austin is keep it weird. Keep Austin, yeah, keep Austin weird, yeah. Keep, keep it weird. And that's so refreshing to go to. And I've, I've been to Austin once. And it was probably the nicest place in Texas I went to where it felt like we could do anything we wanted. Just because the air was so... was It felt nice there. Um, we we currently live outside of Dallas. Like, out of far away enough that I have to commute a long-ass way every morning. Mm. Um, but it's it's okay here. Like, I, I literally can only see one of my neighbors because we live out in the sticks. And that happens to be the gentleman who owns the church on the other side of his house. They're very nice. Um, they don't give a damn at all. No like, pun intended. Very, yeah, literally. They don't give a damn. In fact, they come over every on occasion and give us free eggs from their chickens. And we are very happy with that. Um, so, but it's just like people don't seem to care. Because when we moved in, um, we were like, okay, we've, we're living out in the country. We don't know how these people are going to react. Because me and my wife, were, we lived in Dallas for a while. And mm -hmm. it is impossible to afford living there and have horses. <laughs> so we moved further out. And so we we were concerned with how that was going to be because my wife's already gone through several different culture shocks coming to America. Mm -hmm. um, one of them being that England, it's she couldn't explain it for the whole of England, and I don't expect her to. But where from where she lived, it was it's a 
very private thing. Like a lot of things in English culture is very private. And, you know, your sexuality as well as your religion are both very private things. Like she had mm-hmm. never seen a billboard that was Jesus is the way or you're going to burn in hell if you do this. She's never seen bill- billboards like that before. She's never seen a church on every corner. Like none of her churches back home are less than 200 years old. Um, so, and mm. she was also yeah. raised Catholic. So she just kind of coming here where people will literally say, God bless you while you walk down the street. And some people even will even walk up to you and just be like, I want to pray for you. That's a whole different world to her. So she's already had to deal with being in a place where, you know, back at home, she would just be like, yeah, I'm gay. What, what the fuck? You know, it's like, it's like Mm -hmm. something that doesn't really matter because it's a private and it's in your own life. And then she comes out here where it's literally like we can't even hold hands in public because she's worried that she's going to stir the pot somewhere. Right. And so we moved into the country and we were just like, we don't know what we're going to say to our neighbors considering these are the only people that are going to hear us scream at night if something happens. And none of of them give a shit. Like the second day we were here, like fencing up the house and doing all sorts of crazy shit. My mother was like meeting our neighbors and telling them that we're married and gay. (laughs) And I'm like, thank you, mom. (laughs) Thanks for just doing that while I ran out to the store to get some freaking piping. Like, why did you do that? And she's like, who gives a crap? And I'm like, thank you for having faith in it. And luckily, none of them gave a crap. Luckily, none of them care. In fact, one of our neighbors actually invited us over to a cookout where we quickly left after like 20 minutes. Like after it was like after we shoved some food in our face and we because a bunch of people kept coming over to us. And they're like, oh, you live next door. And they're like, you two live alone? And we were like, yes. Yes, we live alone, and we just had to realize we had to deal with other people that uh, didn't know we were gay, and we were just like, this one lady actually came around and asked us the same question twice, and she was like, we're leaving, and I was like, okay, and I was like, we have a handyman coming over, we gotta go, but it's, it's interesting having to explain to people when they're like, you two girls live by yourself? Like, no, actually, we live together. We live together, yeah. That's sort of the point. That's, that's the point. <laughs> like, we have no men. There's a, this is a no-man zone. The only thing yeah. on our property that even remotely resembles a man is a gelding who doesn't have balls anymore. So, <laughs> I mean, but it's just a, it's a whole different culture. And it's just, you know, we're in a lovely place where none of our neighbors care. They know that we're married. I mean, we don't flaunt it. We don't throw it out there. But it's it's pretty clear. Um And it's just no one seems to care out here. And you will find pockets of that, those kind of small communities that kind of just don't care. Like there's, unfortunately, when my wife met my grandmother, that was kind of my coming out. Like uh, some people would call me rude for literally texting my parents and being like, oh, by the way, I'm getting married and that person's a woman. But at the same time, you know, like everyone kind of knew. It was like that elephant in the room that nobody wanted to talk about, and they just thought it would kind of go away if they didn't talk about it, which, nope. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. That elephant just paints itself with rainbows. Not quite. Anyway. You you know, it's really interesting in that, uh, you know, as we were talking about earlier, I grew up in a very queer, positive environment, you know, being in the theater and in the arts. But I, so as a result, I wasn't introduced to the concept of it not being okay until I was coming to terms with my own sexuality 
and happened to tell someone who was supposed to be supportive and professional and they reacted poorly. And, uh, that was when I, I actually, the first person I came out to was a therapist (laughs) and they immediately grew uncomfortable very clearly and they shifted in their seat and their entire body language changed. And when you're in the theater, when you're studying acting, body language is everything. Your body is your instrument. It is how you communicate beyond just the words that are given to you in a script. So it's something that I am particularly very keyed into and even at a very young age because I started acting professionally when I was five years old. So, you know, you're just, it's just part of something that you're keyed into. It's sort of like when you meet another woman and you glance at her nails to see if she's gay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> But it's, it's, it's that sort of thing. You're looking for, you know, clues and cues and things. So this therapist, she immediately, her body posture stiffened and changed and she grew uncomfortable and her, there was a tremble in her voice. Wow. And that was the first time I thought and realized, oh gosh, this isn't something that is necessarily a good thing <laughs> or an accepted thing. And to have that reaction from a therapist and to get that messaging from a therapist, I mean, she didn't say anything negative verbally. She said nothing negative, but it was all her physical language. And so I immediately went back in the closet and that's, I hadn't even come out really. And that was what, when I was 13, I think. Yeah. (laughs) And so at that point I completely closed in on myself in that, in that respect I even kept fake diaries where I pretended that, you know, I was crushing on, um, you know, a boy in my class or something like that. So that just in case my parents who had never, ever once ever given me any reason to think that being gay was a problem. But in case my mom was reading my diary, she'd think that I had a crush on this boy in my class, you know, uh, and not on a girl who sat right next to this boy. (laughs) You know, so I actually hid it from my parents who I'd never really needed to hide anything from before. So that was quite, you know, I mean, that was a a very formative moment for me in that therapist's office. Wow. I am so sad that that happened to you. Like When I was younger, you know, that there was like two bands that every child knew. It was like Mm -hmm. NSYNC and the Spice Girls. And mm-hmm. while I went over to a friend's house, you know, they would pull, she would have this giant poster from NSYNC and they, oh, or was it the Backstreet Boys? Crap, I can't tell the two apart. Um, Neither, I mean, I can, tech, you know, academically, but. <laughs> yeah, and, and they would just pull out this big poster and all the girls would talk about which boy it was that they liked most. And I literally, it would get to my turn and I just kind of looked at the poster and I just picked the one that nobody else was picking. He apparently had like a funny looking nose and they didn't like that. And I was just like, I like him. JK, I liked Scary Spice like the whole time. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's that kind of thing. Like you kind of, even at a young age, you can feel when something isn't right. Like you can feel like you don't want people to judge you. And I just, it makes me sad to hear those kind of stories because people actually have absolutely no idea what how they make other people feel when they do shit like that they have absolutely no idea what they're doing because it's something they just can't comprehend no no i was gonna say and again just kind of circling back to you know what we were talking about almost at the very beginning of the podcast and that straight people have no idea they have no clue none and it's 
I mean, there are allies who, who genuinely do try to learn and understand, and that's great and wonderful. But je- but the majority of the straight community just has no idea. <laughs> and it's very, very frustrating. My sister's the same way, unfortunately. I She knew I was gay before my parents did. And mm. she, before my father's side of the family did. And she technically told them before me. Oh, <laughs> the no. The jerk. Like, I was, uh. I was engaged to, well, not, I'm not even engaged yet. I was talking to her about how I was going, like, you know, how we were going to get married. And she was just like, you know, you got to tell them if you're going to get married. And I'm just like, it's just this is the piece. It's whatever. And she's like, but you love her. You're going to love her for the rest of your life. And I'm like, it's fun how she knew that before I did. And mm-hmm. she was just like, she just went ahead and told them. It's like, and she's like, you know, I, I know that they know, but I don't know how to tell them. And she's like, well, I've already told them. And it was like literally the most frustrating thing in my life that she went ahead and was basically went ahead and told them. And I was like, well, what did they fucking say? And she would not tell me their reaction, which was oh, even worse. Oh, that's not fair. Which that's horrible. Even worse. And so when I told them, oh, by the way, I'm getting married and this happens to be a woman. I mean, it's a bit anticlimactic to the story considering they already knew. Right. But I just, she didn't understand what the problem was. And that's easy for her not to understand because she's never been on that side of the fence. She's never been on the side of the fence where she would have done something that would have made them very possibly disown her. Like she's always been in, she's always been the, my family's been divorced basically all of my life. Like I turned one years old and my parents were already divorced. So living with two different families is very, very common to me. So mm-hmm. while I was more attached to my mother's side, who's been the more irresponsible, crazy, wild person, she was more <laughs> attached to my father's side, which was more conservative. You know, they, my father's a police officer, his wife's a nurse, like everyone just kind of branches off into that. The men go into the military and the women go off and do nursing stuff. Literally, you can track like 15 different people in my family that has the same MO, just the same mm-hmm. thing over and over again. And, um, you know, she fits into that life and she likes it and she just doesn't understand what it's like to be that outcast. And then to even have this great secret that you're worried is going to make you lose everything, you know, and she just was like, well, I just already hadn't told them. And then she, and and then she doesn't understand why I want to see more gay people on TV. Yeah. Like we've had an argument over dinner where she was just like, well, why do you need to see them? Like, you know, they're there. And she's like, I know. Oh, man, I know. And just because I hadn't seen her in like a year, I literally looked at her and I said, we're not going to have this conversation here because I don't want us to leave with me yelling at you. And that's basically how it was. And we just stopped the conversation because at some point, you know, when you're talking to someone that just has absolutely so much privilege in what they have that they cannot see anything outside of it. Yeah. And yep. I, I already know my sister as that person. Like, one day I'll be able to sit down and have that actual talk with her. But I was just, strangely enough, I talk about this shit on the internet all day. But when it comes to saying it to an actual person, it's harder, it's to, form, it's harder to form rebuttals when I can't just sit there and untype the message like a dozen times. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's so much harder when that person is, is close to you. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Uh, to finish the story of what happened when my wife met my grandmother, which was her introduction to me formally saying, by the way, grandma, I'm gay. This woman mm-hmm. is going to be your granddaughter-in-law. 
Um, she, she took us into another room and she, I knew this was going to happen, but I didn't know to what extent. She essentially sat us down and made us read pieces of the Bible because, because the thing is my grandmother had no malice against us. She said, no matter what happens, I will love you no matter what. She's like, but it's not about what I think. It's about what God thinks. And she went through this whole ritual, like she had been practicing it for a while of what she was going to do so she could like check all of these boxes to make sure that she would still go into heaven when she died because i don't know what they teach us down here but apparently it's something along the lines of if you see somebody sitting and you see someone going down the wrong path if you do not tell them that they're doing wrong at least once then you'll be held responsible when you die which is bullshit which is the most manipulative bullshit i've ever heard and ugh. Anyway, she, after we had that conversation, it was all fine and dandy. Like, she took my wife into the other room. She showed her how to, like, make my favorite dumpling soup, which, how nice of her, as if she didn't know that I was going to be the one cooking. Um, and, you know, it was, it was wonderful. Like, she completely welcomed her into the family. And it was, I, it was as if she never sat us in another room and basically read a, made us read a scripture where he equated gay people to the same uh, people as cheaters and liars and murderers fantastic yeah yeah mm-hmm. this and this uh, dark i'm really sorry that's okay that's all right um it's it's just a, it's one of those unfortunate kind of facts of life when you're queer uh the majority of us have very poor experiences with uh, church and with religion and i personally am very lucky uh in that the you know, my parents were very relaxed on the religious side. Again, they're both artists um, and they're both very, uh, you know, well-educated. And um, my mom was always more toward, she refers to herself as an Episcopagan. Um, <laughs> she kind of blends mysticism with with uh, with the Episcopal um, version of, of Catholicism. And uh, my dad was raised Methodist, but that's because he was raised in the South and you went to church on Sundays. But for him, it was more, let's get together and socialize after we sit here and listen to this guy talk for an hour. Uh, yeah. Afterwards, we'll hang out, have some brunch, you know, <laughs> drink some, you know, have some soda pop or whatever, and then go hop on our bikes and, and ride around while our parents go home or what have you. So... Um, and well, the interesting thing is that, uh, again, my father was raised in, in the South. My grandmother, uh, was from Arkansas. My grandfather was from Texas. Hello. Um, and hello from Texas. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is he, I'm not sure what part of Texas he was from. Cause my dad's not sitting next to me to remind me, but uh, my grandmother was from Texarkana, Arkansas, uh, the, for the long time, the vertical murder capital of the United States. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but my grandmother was an atheist. Yeah. Come on yeah. There. But she still went to church every Sunday because it's where she socialized. It's, 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 it's how you, you know, it's how you saw your friends. It's how you saw your, you know, the, your barbecue buddies, I guess, uh, you know? <laughs> uh, so, so for me, I, you know, I, we, we went to church now and then it was always the Episcopal church and it was always a very liberal situation. And nine times out of 10, the pastor, or in this case, the minister happened to be, um, a woman. So, hmm. uh, you know, it was always very relaxed and cool and, and no problem. Uh, I, I don't like to speak, uh, for my wife or over my wife, uh, on this, but I will just say that, that she was raised in a, um, very conservative uh, religious household. 
and her coming out was not a pleasant experience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm not really going to go into further detail than that, but it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but let's go on to happier top. top sure. Top, 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 tops. Yeah. Top tops. And let's go into happier <laughs> topics. Cause, uh, for some reason I dove that straight into sad topics. Uh, <laughs> I apologize for that. I usually try to keep this a little lighter, but you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's hard to ignore those things that this is stuff mm-hmm. that we go through. And when people ask us, well, why do you need more representation? It's to stop this stuff from keep happening over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Because I, I do feel blessed in the way that I've talked to many people that are from the 70s and even older than that, that their experiences are just almost completely alien to my own, where they had to be in the closet almost pretty much all of their lives and never be able to tell anyone, and that they just sort of, you know, they've, they've lived this secret life from society and it's just, I'm, I'm happy at where I am. I'm happy that I came out in this time of the world. And I'll feel even happier for those who come out later who don't have as much of a problem as we do. Yeah. And comparatively, we, you know, it's, it, it is definitely getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, compared to 10, heck, even five years ago, it's better now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I... I'm only hoping that it continues to get better and it continues to flourish in ways. And, you know, it's just, it's going to take effort. It's going to take us continually pushing and pushing and pushing and making people uncomfortable because, God forbid, if your comfortability is what keeps other people from living happy lives. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me more about your childhood. You sound like you had a gay old time. I mean, (laughs) what? That didn't come out like that. (laughs) Uh, Rimshot. Uh, yeah, no, um, (laughs) it was a, it was a very fun and generally fulfilling childhood. I would say the most frustrating part of my childhood was having to go to school because I would much rather be doing, uh, theater and art, uh, with, with my parents. Um, I, and it was a lot of, you know, me hanging out in the corner while my parents were in rehearsals for shows. Um, I love to this day, my favorite smell is the smell of a professional theater's green room because it it has a very unique smell and it's one of those smells that exists in all green rooms. I don't know how to describe it. It's sort of a sweet smell that comes from the pancakey makeup and, um, and a lot of actresses wear perfume. So it's this sort of mix of, and also the hairspray that goes into the wigs. And uh, so I just loved hanging out in the green rooms and laying on the couches there. And every green room for the most part has a, has a ratty old couch. So I'd be <laughs> hanging out in the radio couch and whoever was off stage was my babysitter. And uh, I loved showing off. I'm such a show off. I crave attention to this day. I completely admit it. <laughs> I, I am a, I'm an only child who grew up in a theatrical household. I crave to be known. Um, and that's part of why one of my emails is uh, addresses is never heard of in my initials. <laughs> because, <Wow>. you know, <laughs> I'm like, I would rather be the opposite of that. Um, and I fully admit this. It's taken me a long time to actually 
admit it as as just the truth of of my ego um it's part of why i started you know it, everything i do i do in the hope that someone will notice me and that just comes from being an, an only child uh who who was the center of attention and <laughs> who grew up on stage yeah wow that's that's wonderful though like even though you say it as if it's a it's a flaw it's really empowering for someone to know themselves enough because i I am the oldest child of five and I still want to be the center of attention. <laughs> and maybe that's why we started podcasting yeah. is because somebody else would listen to our voice other than our wives. Um. Yeah. I tease my wife all the time. I'm like, I don't know how you put up with me. <laughs> I don't. Uh, but she has made me a better person. She truly has. She has really uh, shown me how to stop and think of others before myself. And I, I can honestly say that before I met her, I was, I think, a very nice person, but I wasn't that person who would put others first. And and knowing my wife and being with my wife has made me a better person in that regard. So I'm very, very grateful to her for that. Aww. That's <laughs> I love hearing women talk about their wives, probably because I just want to talk about my wife all the time. <laughs> All the time, but this is not that podcast. No. <laughs> That's um, the I Love My Wife podcast. I should. <laughs> oh my gosh, I should probably make that if, as yeah. if I have time. Um, but I would totally be on that podcast all the time. People would be like, okay, you either can co-host or you can get out. <laughs> Five times is your limit. Leave. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so tell me, since your parents were such free-loving lesbians... And they didn't seem to care that you were gay. Um, what did you actually get in trouble with them about? What was one of the things that you did that disappointed oh, them? Man. Um, I don't know if this is a touchy subject. If it is, we can gladly go over it. But I find this interesting to know. Well, I've got two two stories I can tell comfortably. The, oh, go on. The first one was when I was in high school. Uh, I should preface this. I played... Um, I played uh, sports. What's it called when you play sports for the local community center? Can't think of it. There's a term, and it just flew out of my mind. Uh, yeah, that's okay. But I, I think that it pretty much I, yeah. explained it. And I played basketball, and I was really mm -hmm. good. <laughs> I was quite, if I do say so myself, I was quite good. And uh, when I started high school, I made it onto the junior varsity team right away. And I was put in the position of, um, point guard. And at the same time, I was also in theater, of course, and I was in show choir and I had a very, very full schedule. And it turned out that the show choir performances overlapped with the basketball games. So oh, no. I had to make a decision. Do I continue with basketball or do I continue with show choir? And for me, it was an easy decision. Obviously, I would continue with show choir because my future was in the arts. It devastated, especially my mother, because what? yeah, because she saw my skills on the basketball court as a way for me to get into college. Oh, I see, I see. And she saw the opportunities for scholarships. Because my parents, part of the thing is when you're in the arts, money is not 
a thing you have uh, mm-hmm. generally. Uh, if you are a working actor, you can get by, but you don't have a slush. And so my parents knew that if I was going to go to college, I would have to get there on a scholarship. And while I was a high B student, uh, scholarships generally don't go to B students. So they saw Mm -hmm. the sports side of things as a way for me to make up for that. But when I opted out of, uh, at least in my freshman year, (laughs) I opted out of sports. I actually got back into sports (laughs) in, in high school. Um, and ended up playing both varsity uh, soccer and varsity basketball. But that initial rejection really, really disappointed my mom, particularly. My dad was concerned, but not to the degree that my mom was upset. So that's that's one point where I really upset them. The second one, and this will make you laugh, I hope, was I've always mm-hmm. had a capacity for medicine. And... There was a very, very serious point in my um, secondary education where I considered going into medical school. And my mom <laughs> was also very upset. Oh my she, God. She literally said, well, not, again, I'm paraphrasing, but very close to this. She said, Are you telling me that we have spent all this time? and all this money on you attending acting classes and courses for you to go to medical school? (laughs) They can't help that they have a very talented daughter. Like, what do you do with that? Like, she was upset that you wouldn't go into sports because there would be scholarships, and we're talking about being a doctor when there's lots of money. Wow. So how did you get into college? I just, I have to know now. Ah, Well, that is one of my great disappointments. Oh, no. I was accepted. (laughs) Why do I keep touching these subjects? I was accepted to a program at Oxford, an arts program. And the British American Drama Academy. And I couldn't go because... I couldn't go because on paper, it looked like my parents made enough money to be able to afford my schooling. In reality, that is not the case. So I could not qualify for a scholarship large enough to cover my attendance. And I was so upset and so devastated that despite the fact that I I did have opportunities to go to other schools... I did a very teenager, very stupid thing. And I threw up my hands and I said, well, screw it all then. I'm just going to go directly into the business. And I did. Yeah. So I did. (laughs) So uh, that's why I ended up in Las Vegas um, following my parents there. My parents had both accepted uh, gigs in, in Vegas. So I followed my parents to Vegas and I immediately was cast in a show. And started working. But then that show ended. The contract ended. And then it was very piecemeal. Then it was the reality of being an adult actor. You know. In a in a talent pool. And trying to um, build a resume. Beyond what I'd done as a, as a child. I had a very impressive 
resume as a child. Uh, but as an adult, I didn't, I didn't yet. Cause I was very, I was only 17, 18 years old. So, and I also looked like myself. <laughs> I did not, yeah. not, a, I'm not a very feminine looking person. Um, I tend, I trend more towards the masculine and, um, as a result, act directors who had taken, uh, chances on me when I was younger, uh, were no longer taking chances on me because I didn't fit the ingenue and I was too young to play a mother. And, you know, I was, you name it, the usual, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too thin. Um, so I just really ran into that. And so that, I, I ended up sliding off stage and becoming a director and a producer. And, and, um, that's been satisfying, but there's something about hearing this sound when you're on stage and bowing, uh, that you don't get when you're, um, backstage and, and, uh, and have just, you know, even, even though you've put the production up, it's not the same thing. <laughs> oh. I have like made this a very sad podcast and I apologize. I'm trying to think of some jokes I can tell here. (laughs) Um, Did you ever hear the one about the two girls in the U-Haul? No, do tell. (laughs) No, that was the one. That was it. I got nothing. (laughs) That was it. It's so funny how some of those jokes have like a a true ring to it. And a lot of people would dispute that. And like, those are horrible stereotypical jokes. But like literally when I met my wife for the first time, she came to live with me, so I, I don't know what to say because we we were long distance for a long time, and then she actually came to see me, and then of course she has nowhere else to go but my own house. So, <laughs> so I can't say that we ever lived apart, except for of course when she was across the ocean. Mm-hmm. But so you trapped I don't her know. is I what you're saying. I can't argue Lured her into your web, <laughs> and you trapped her here. She she trapped herself here. She was like. I was like, okay, uh, she has a horse at home. She loves horses. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to take her horseback riding. And then I I don't regret it. I won't say that I regret it. But I do not know what I was getting into. And then after that, it was, honey, let me buy a horse. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And now we have five. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I, let me tell you, I knew jack shit about horses. For the longest time, and now I know too many things about horses. <laughs> you know things you and wish you did. Let didn't. me tell you, man. Like I, the one thing I love to tell people, and any of my listeners are like, "Can you tell another joke?" The answer is no. Is that there is a reason that there's music over the montages of horses running and galloping and being like all free and spirity and ah, look at them majestic. It's to cover up all the fart noises. <laughs> that they make when they're galloping. Let me tell you, there is nothing quite as just, these horses are goofy ass animals. They are not majestic. They are not powerful. I swear to God, the people who use horses as their mascots have never had a horse in their life because they are the most hilariously ridiculous baby potatoes you've ever met in your life. (laughs) Well, now you know what you need to do. You need to go and find one of those uh, videos of horses running through the fields and take away the the music and and put in just fart noises, just repetitive fart noises. Like, that's that's what it is. That's what it is so much. Like, I have this horse that she is, she's absolutely gorgeous. Like, she, everything about her just is like, because we do show horses, God forbid we do something cheaper. Um, and she's just absolutely gorgeous. And let me tell you, whenever she starts 
to run and Buck and she starts acting like a complete fool is just immediately followed by fart noises all the time. Like, she'll start running and all of a sudden all you hear is <laughs> as she's running and it's just like, ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Our majestic beast. That's how she self like, really. It's <laughs> she's a natural gas engine, Man. that's all. Exactly, that's why she runs so fast. Anyway. Ugh, and now she's pregnant and she's going to have another little fart. In fact, that's probably how the baby's going to come out. She's not even going to realize it's happening. She's going to be like, bloop. <laughs> anyway, I love my animals, regardless of the one that's been screaming in the background almost this entire podcast. I don't know if you've heard her yet, but I was two seconds away from getting up and, like, just, just very lovingly throwing her in the other room. <sighs> I love how all of my creatures are, like, sleeping on the living room floor because it's not, because it's sleep time, and she's just walking around howling like she's by herself. <laughs> Why you creatures do that? So, you have, you have multiple furry babies, as you told me before. Yeah. Tell me about them sure. so I don't feel alone in this Absolutely. world. So, I've got two dogs and three cats. They're all rescues. Mm -hmm. They are all their own unique individuals. They all have their own mm -hmm. unique personalities and quirks oh, yeah. and likes and dislikes and rules that they have made for themselves that they follow. It is so fascinating to me to watch my animals uh, interact with each other and with the world around them because uh, some of them ha are very almost OCD and they, are, uh, they create uh, rules that they must follow. Um, otherwise, who knows what will happen. Um, we have never done anything that we are aware of, my wife and I, that would cause our animals to be stressed or have anxiety. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but a couple of our kids do, our smallest dog and um, our middle cat, both are very anxious critters. And it's interesting to watch. They are the ones who really make rules for themselves that they have to follow. Um, it's... it's uh, Interesting also to when they play together, when the animals play together, they come up with games and there are rules to the games. And if you watch them long enough, you can figure out what the rules are. And it's really, they're so smart. They're, they're so intelligent and, uh, they're my little fuzzy bubbies and I love them so much. <laughs> um, each of our animals has their own theme song. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. and, uh, they, um, either really love or really hate it. Uh, <laughs> Oh my our, God. Our, our dog, Aaron, who we've had for uh, a little over 10 years, and we've had her for 11 years, um, she has her own theme song. She has like, several theme songs, uh, but she has one that we've been singing for her since, since we brought her home. And now, if we start singing it to her, she's just like, oh my God, can you stop? <laughs> can, such side eye, such side eye. Like, can you oh my God. stop? I have heard it. I know that I'm the greatest dog in the world. You can stop singing about it. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, actually, what is the song? Is it a song you guys made up? It is a riff on The Greatest Song in the World by Tenacious D. Uh, oh so it, so it is, uh, it's literally just the refrain. It's, it's just, uh, actually, it's just the very end of the song, um, if you're familiar with the song at all. But it's, um, Aaron is the greatest dog. In the world. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> I see. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. 
That's hilarious. I mean, my wife does something like that. Like, I think I made a comment once upon a time that if we have not made some kind of um, domestic um, remix of either um, Riding Dirty or, oh my God, what's the other song that we caught or um, Into This World, the Disney version, if we haven't made some domestic remix of that song, <laughs> then we're not having a good day. <laughs> <laughs> like, like all the time. All the time, we just make up some random crap, and a lot of times, the the most popular one we did was, "Look at these cats, isn't it grand? Wouldn't you think that we have too many at hand?" And it's just, I don't, I am not a good singer. I will not pretend, but it's just like we do that. We'll just like mix up songs to depending on who we're looking at, and unfortunately, we have a lot of animals here, so it's 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 an endless supply. It's an endless supply of people thinking we're singing Disney, but we're not. <laughs> I, I love doing just off-the-cuff song parodies, and I think it just comes from my years uh, doing improvisational theater. <laughs> it's just, uh, it comes relatively easily to me, and I just, I really amuse myself. <laughs> <laughs> I bet so. So how long have you and your wife been together? You said 10 years? We, I mean, I just heard 10 years so much that I'm mixing the dates here. We have, as of, well, it's interesting in that we have two wedding anniversaries. <laughs> The one where we oh. got married in British Columbia, um, and then the one where we were married in a, it was sort of the family and friends ceremony. So we were already legally married in Canada, uh, and then we had a family and friends ceremony in Nevada uh, for everybody to come. So, but that's, so that's the one that we count as our official wedding anniversary. But legally, we will have been married for 10 years on June 27th of this year. Oh, yeah. congratulations. Uh, and we've actually been together 12. Congratulations, though. We just had our we just had our anniversary the tenth, and it's only been like three years. Oh wow, that's great! <laughs> that's great. You're on your way. <laughs> We're on our way. We're gonna be together for the rest of our lives. Yes, it's going to be fantastic because now we have horses between us that we cannot split apart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I love my wife more than anything in the world. Yeah. Um, Same. You should be able to know because if you knew me as a person, they would be like, "You live in the country with horses." and do domestic things somebody would tell you that they're that you were talking about someone else because they were just like you don't do those things you're not domestic and i'm just like i know i don't know what happened <laughs> like this is this is one of the things that it's, it's really sad because i i came out to myself when i was in college mm -hmm. And I just, I didn't realize that before then I had kept a part of myself so buried in there that no, not only did I not know who I was, but I realized that no one who grew up with me knew who I was either. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm out and I'm so much, I'm so happy and I've had time to actually explore who I am, I realize that I go to family functions now and people still treat me like they did like 10 years ago. And it's just, it's like I'm a completely different person. And it, it makes me sad now that there there will be some people in my family who will not know me as that better person because they can't get get past the fact of who I'm married to. Yeah. What? Am I making this podcast sad? <laughs> no. Well, let me tell you a funny story. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> that. Go ahead. Please. Um, please make this brighter. I don't know what's happened. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so my coming out story, the official coming out story, when I came out to my yes. parents, was a delightful comedy of errors and a total letdown for me 
being a theater kid, oh I wanted drama. <laughs> there wasn't any. So, oh my God. So essentially what happened was I was in my senior year of high school. I was, we were living back in Alabama. Or I should say I was back in Alabama. I was completing my senior year of high school at a high school for the performing arts. Um, and I was living with my grandparents because my parents had already relocated to Las Vegas pursuing um, opportunities. So um, my grandparents, cool people, you know, I mentioned before my grandmother was an atheist. I don't think I mentioned it, but my grandfather was a former NASA engineer, actually did a lot of the electrical wiring on the Saturn V rocket. Wow. Yeah. And, and both, you know, cool people, but you know, old. <laughs> and yeah. I was, I wasn't sure how they would take me being out. Um, luckily when I did ultimately come out to them, it was such a non-issue. They're like, and moving on. Oh, fantastic. So anticlimactic. <laughs> and uh, so I uh, went to, I walked down the block from my grandparents' home to the Circle K. Mm -hmm. And do you remember payphones? Do you remember what these things are? They're sort of these. I do. You do. I do. Yeah. I know Maroon 5 came out with a song about a payphone, and I was like, do they realize what year they're yeah. in? <laughs> like, half of their audience don't even know what a freaking payphone is. Do you is. think I need to explain? Or, or do, you, do you think Maroon 5 did the work? Um, I think you should still explain, because I have realized recently that I have younger people actually listening to me. And, you know, on occasion it makes me nervous. But I'm also like, there is no censoring this. Sure. You might as well get used to life. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, so youngins, young folks out there, back in the day, before <laughs> cell phones, there were these things called payphones, and there were stationary telephones that were attached to poles that had wiring in them that ran to the telephone poles that carried your messages vocally <laughs> to whomever you were trying to reach. And you would usually have to deposit 25 cents or more, more if it was a long distance call. But also back in the day, they had these cool little things called phone cards that you could preload with money so that you didn't have to carry all that heavy change around because change is dumb. So <laughs> we, you go to the payphone, you punch in the number you're calling. It asks you for money to make the phone call. You punch in the code from your phone card and you're connected. So while I was living with my grandparents, my parents generously paid for a phone card for me so that if I needed to make a phone call from a place other than my parent, my grandparents' home, I could do so. So walk to the circle K found one of those wonderful payphone thingies, picked up the receiver, called my parents in Vegas. I'm preparing to come out the Ellen DeGeneres puppy episode has aired a week prior. I am ready. Oh my God. Dial the number. Ring, ring, ring. Phone answers. It's my mother. Hello? Hey, uh, hey mom, it's me. Uh, I just wanted to uh, call. Say hi. Oh, um, hi honey. Uh, listen, we are actually headed out the door. Lynn's coming to town. Side note, Lynn is my, is my mom's best friend. Uh, Lynn's coming to town. We have to pick her up from McCarran Airport. Okay, um, I get that. But I kind of need to tell you something, and it's kind of like um, uh, important. Oh, okay. Well, can you tell me quickly because we really need to go. 
I uh, <clears throat> I can, but like I'm just like really nervous. Well, honey, if, if we can talk about this later, no, no, I don't want to talk about it later. I need to talk. I need to. I need to do this now. <clears throat> it's just I'm really kind of nervous about it. Honey, I really we don't have time. Are you sure it can't wait? Because we have to. We have to go. I'm like okay, all right, okay, just um, um, I just I um I just have to I just have to tell you um that um I'm um I'm 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 gay. Oh, honey. Oh, we knew that, sweetheart. We knew that. It's it's okay. Listen, we really have to go. We'll talk about this later, okay? But it's all right. We love you, sweetheart. But we have to go. So we'll t- we'll talk to you later, okay, honey? Bye. Click. Oh my fucking God. And I'm left standing in the parking lot of the Circle K with this receiver in my hand. And and I scream into the dark Alabama night. You knew? <laughs> Slammed the phone back in the cradle. And just muttered to myself the whole way back to my grandparents' house. They knew. They You knew. They, they knew, they knew, they knew how they knew. So that was my coming out experience. <laughs> I should have just let you talk this entire podcast. Cause I, I mean, I just went to like dark subjects and you're just like, let me literally play out to you how exactly this event went. <laughs> Probably the best thing I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> tell me more continue to tell a story <laughs> that was fantastic thank you thank you you can't see it but i'm bowing thank you <laughs> <laughs> i love how i can literally hear you like lean back in your chair when you sit back <laughs> <laughs> all about the you know foley is an art form and <laughs> i i'm disappointed i haven't let you talk more <laughs> you know it's i have to say it's very refreshing to talk to someone who's had a good experience with their life and being gay, I suppose. I know you, of course, you've had your, your dark moments and stuff, but to, like, have someone who doesn't have, like, oh, this is all of the crap I've had to deal with being gay stories to compare to, which is one of the reasons I was caught off guard, because you were just like, ah, my parents were fine with it, and I was like, fuck, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> And I kept like I kept talking about it over again, and I, I guess I thought you would be able to add to it. I'm like, this is what I get. This is what I get for jumping to this conclusion. But this is also the beautiful part of this podcast that I want to bring to people is that everyone's story is different, and there's so many different ways that this can happen because they see one thing of representation on TV, and that's it. They see one thing, and they look at it, and they say, well, I'm not this thing, so I can't be gay, or I can't be this thing, or it's not going to work out well. And it's just, they need to hear that it, it goes in many different directions. This shit is what should be on my podcast. God. Anyway, more stories. More stories. More stories? Okay. Because apparently every story I tell is just getting sad. I don't know what's wrong with me these days. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have plenty of fun stories to tell. And it's just like, do I sit here and talk about my wife? Or, hmm, <laughs> tell us about your wife. <laughs> That might be a nice change. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of any just truly hilarious stories that also happen to deal with my my being gay. And I I am not coming up with with many. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's perfectly fine. And that's, you know, I, it's it's hard 
being on the spot with things. Like, trust me, all the time, you could literally ask me a question and for some reason I would completely blank out, even though I've answered the same question over and over again. <laughs> like such, my name. I had to tell someone my name the other day and I was like, <laughs> I should know this. I've had this name all of my life. Like, what just happened? <laughs> I mean, it's not like my wife's name that I had to learn how to pronounce that correctly because we were just like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just take each other's name. We'll just like put a hyphen on it. Because neither one of us cared. It was a mistake. <laughs> I mean, I love my wife. I love everything about her. But we should have dropped one of our names. Because now, I mean, I like to joke to people that, you know, whenever we have a child, we just want to make their lives as difficult as possible during their first early years of trying to spell out their names. But, I mean, anyway. <laughs> Fun stuff. Don't, don't, have, don't have, like two last names like it makes you sound interesting but when you literally have to tell anyone the name they're always like can you spell that for me and I'm just like here we go <laughs> here we go oh man you know it, it's so funny that actually happened to my friends um who got married and uh one of them took the other's name I'm trying to remain keep them anonymous of course uh so the um the gal who uh, whose name was taken said said to her wife you can only take my name if you pronounce it correctly oh shit because her name is this fantastic dutch name and oh my god uh and the funny thing is um i think i was probably one of the first people she'd ever met and um who got her name right or damn near right on the first try wow I would ask you to pronounce it, but it ruins. But then, the, then the, the, the anonymity just goes whoop. Uh, exactly. But yeah. Uh, so, so she again. I don't think I got it exactly. I think I was damn near close. And probably, I think she said I was. I was the person who got it the closest of anyone she'd ever met on the first try. And I was like, well, thank you very much, because language is a thing that I enjoy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I thought that was really funny. But she got in a lot of trouble with her wife for telling her that she could only take her name if she could pronounce it correctly. <laughs> I still can't. I still can't pronounce my second one correctly. And it's not really my fault because her father's side is Irish and they have a completely different pronunciation of that name <laughs> than her mother's side does. So I heard her father, like, because her, for some reason, I could understand the Irish side of her family a lot better than I could understand her mother. So I kept hearing them say it. And I thought, that's how you say it. And then I started saying it back here. And she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you can't even pronounce your own name right. Do you know what that sounds like? And I'm just like, well, not when I'm not next to you. <laughs> and it's it's so fun. It's so fun because, like, the the inflection is completely different. Like, okay. we'll, we'll say the same word, mm -hmm. but, the, but they break up the syllables differently. Like... It's it's wonderful. I, I, I think I would have an entire podcast about the differences if it had anything to do with being gay, which I could make it work. I will make it work one day. But like the the funnest one I have is that um, they say uh, we say respiratory mm -hmm. and they say respiratory mm -hmm. or aluminum and aluminium. I just say aluminium because for whatever reason, my mouth can't make those words. <laughs> Like, it took me, like, literally most of my adult life was learning how to say the word millennium right. And for some reason, I couldn't say 
Aluminium, right? I, I was going to say it the other way, but you know, I've already made an ass of myself enough on the front of a mic, so I think I'll stop for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I know what you're saying, yes. Matt, because even here in the United States, we have uh, different, we, you know, there are different regions that put different inflections on things. Like, for example, um, out here in the Pacific Northwest, there is a, a town uh, that is called Issaquah, and it is a Native American uh, named town. That same name in upstate New York, would be pronounced Issaquah. What? Yeah, so Issaquah versus Issaquah. Uh, is there, like, a lively debate about this? Because I heard you say soda pop earlier, and I'm just like, you've been in the Pacific Northwest too, for too long. You're calling it soda <laughs> pop already. Hey, I grew up in the South, and it, it, everything was Coke and uh, what flavor? Exactly. Yeah, what flavor Coke you want? Uh, exactly. Can I actually have a Dr. Pepper? <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's just, it's so funny. I love the, you know, as much as I suck at pronouncing language, like my mouth is apparently awful. I, I love studying the different regions of the world that say things differently. Yeah. Like they're like all the graphs that say this region says it this way. This region says it that way. That, those are like my crack. Those are like right up there with Pantone colors next to the actual colors in living <laughs> form. It's, it's my crack. <laughs> Trying to figure out a way to bring around the the language uh, and pronunciation discussion in a way that could we could make it queer. And I said, I've got it. What if in one part of the country it was pronounced lesbian and in another part of the country it was pronounced lesbian? Who the fuck? Pardon my language. Who pronounces it that way? No one, but I'm saying what if it was? <laughs> I mean, I've heard people that say lesbian. Lesbian. As if, yeah, as if, it, as if the I didn't exist. Um, oh, wait. Spelling is also not my greatest subject. <laughs> there is an I. There is an I. You're fine. Okay, good. I mean, anyway, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's something to work on. Something to work on there. If we can make this work, we could do anything. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but was there anything else you would like to talk about? Um, I feel like you should do the talking because I'm just like driving this down to like sad conversations. I don't know what's going on with me today. <laughs> no worries. Uh, gosh. Well, we could talk about Winona Earp. I could talk about that all day long. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's do that. Because I tried to do that with Delaney. And for some reason, we just went off in every other direction. It was still a wonderful conversation. But like we just like barely, barely scraped that Winona Earp. <laughs> barely scraped the surface of herpiness. Yes. We barely we barely scraped the surface of it and then we went into our different directions and talked an awful lot about strawberries. <laughs> um. <laughs> you got well, Delaney being a botanist, she will always steer the conversation towards plant life. Because I, mean, I learned a lot. I love learning. Oh me too. Me too. I just think it's funny, like literally Oh my, I love Delaney so much. She's like one of my dearest, dearest friends. It's just so funny. <laughs> Literally every podcast, she has to at some point bring up the fact that she's a botanist. <laughs> I love it. Like, so tell me, how did how did a thespian and a botanist sit together and say, well, you said, let's make a podcast. But how did that come to be? Because I've heard her side of the story. And I've seen that your side of the story is a little bit different. So I would like to hear it from you as well. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, we're both kittens. We're from the kitten board. Did she mention that at all? Yes, yeah, she okay. did. So Didn't call yourself kittens, but can, keep going. Yeah. 
So um, we were both authors of fan fiction uh, for Different color Colored Pens, uh, which is the fan fiction forum on the kitten board. And the kitten board, um, just as a quick refresher, uh, is where a lot of lesbians went uh, to fangirl about Willow and Tara on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and then mm -hmm. to further console each other when that went horribly, horribly wrong. I have, I'm not gonna go down that I have spiral. so many yeah <laughs> I have so many great stories from different aspects of the community about that event I'm gonna like make an anthology about it yeah that, you should you totally should it should be like the gunshot heard across the queer world yeah. something like that continue so we were go ahead. we were both on the board back in the early thousands around the same time and then both of us naturally drifted away uh, from the board just our lives were going in different directions and uh, she and I didn't really talk too much. Uh, we knew of each other. We chat ch chatted once in a while, but we didn't like know know each other back in the day. And then something mm -hmm. weird happened about three years ago. All of a sudden, a bunch of us kittens started migrating back to the board. And it might have been because the 20th anniversary was rolling around. Mm -hmm. uh, for the show. Um, but I don't know. Cause I honestly, that didn't even occur to me when, when I headed back to the board for me, it was just like Willow and Tara had been part of my life and then they faded into the background. And then all of a sudden they were a part of my life again for whatever reason. And it was the second time back to the kitten board where Delaney and I really started talking to each other because we were both actively writing fic, myself a little more than Delaney, but we were both actively writing fic for the board. And Delaney uh, used to come up with the fic, monthly fic challenges, you know, lay down a prompt. Here's the rules of the, you know, the, of engagement. And here's what you can do, can't do, da, 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 submit a fic and people vote on who's the best. And so she and I started creating new challenges since the board was kind of becoming a little active again. We started, she and I were working together creating new challenges. And in the process of doing this, a friendship really started to form and we became very, very close friends. Uh, and we were chatting constantly with each other over the internet. And we talked, you know, talking about our wives, talking about our work and just really, really getting to know each other. We started sharing deeper secrets, uh, you know, deep personal, emotional things that we would help each other through and really just kind of became each other's shoulder to lean on beyond our wives because our wives are excellent for that. But there's also sometimes where you just need something outside of that immediacy you know, sometimes it's nice to talk to someone through a screen and sort of, mm -hmm. uh, flush out your feelings sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so, so that's really how our friendship formed. And, um, then Winona Earp came along and, uh, I can't remember who told me to watch it. It might've been Delaney telling me, I honestly, or maybe I told her to watch it. I don't know. But anyway, I, I watched the first season with my wife and, it was a show that we had intended to watch when it originally aired. I was producing a show at the time and I was literally at the theater every night, every Friday night during the run of both my show and Winona Earp. So it was, I'm sorry, my show was going to win. I had to be there. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, so once uh, we kind of got past that and into a new year and someone mentioned Winona Earp again and it popped up on our Netflix screen, my wife and I were like, we should totally check that out because we wanted to watch it before, but we couldn't because schedule and uh, 
And we get to episode two where Officer Hot shows up in Shorty's bar and discovers Waverly drenched in beer. And both uh, my wife and I looked at each other and went, hello, what is this? Yes. <laughs> yes. I get that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. So <laughs> what is happening on our television screens? What is this? And so I immediately, we immediately binged it. And then I immediately told Delaney, you have got to watch the show. You have got to watch the show. And so she binged it. And we were like, oh my God, the show, the show, the show. And so then we told our friend Lara about it. And I was like, Lara, you've got to watch the show. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to. And she finally relented because I would not shut up about it. I mean, I would not shut up about it. Finally relented. Watched the show. And then she was like, oh my God, the show, the show, the show. And we all three just started going, oh my God, this is amazing. And Lara is a moderator on the kitten board. So she reads a lot of fanfic all over the place and she was on AO3 and sh and I was like, you know, it'd be so great if there was one owner fanfic. And she's like, uh, hello. And she sent me a link to check out the fanfic there. I was like, oh, there's fanfic. Ah. And so I immediately dove in and started reading and then I became inspired to start writing. And then Laura wrote one, which was a, if you knew Laura, th this is a huge deal. You will notice her pronunciation, my pronunciation of her name goes back and forth because there are like three different ways that we pronounce it regularly and she doesn't care. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll call her Lara, Laura, and Laura. It's all the same person. Uh, but so, so when she wrote fanfic, it was like, oh my gosh, this is a huge deal. This is huge. And we all were all just talking with each other and sharing with each other and going, this fan fiction is amazing. And oh my gosh, this is so cool. And, and, and it, we need to talk about, we, you know, we, we talk about this so much. I wish more people knew about this. These writers are incredible. Hey, I got an idea. I'm going to do a podcast. And Delaney, you're going to be my co-host. It's like, you have no choice. You have no choice in the matter. It's, I mean, she did, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I knew that she she had some kind of big stuff coming up in her life, and uh, and she was gonna need some sort of uh, distraction from daily stressors. And so I was like, great way to uh, get out, you know, to get away from stress is is a fan fiction and is a, an escape, and then also having this like weekly appointment for us to talk to each other and fangirl about stuff that we both love is also a, a cool thing. So so it was, you know. Mostly because I wanted to shout to the rooftops and to the hills about how amazing these works are. And all, while also supporting this amazing, incredible, inclusive, queer, positive television show out of Canada, who I just wish I was Canadian. And and because they are smarter than us. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, just lift up this show and the, and, and lift up the fan fiction authors who are paying homage to this show and who are also fully committed and all, you know, one thing we like to say in the Erper fandom is I'm all in and you know, all of us are all in and I've never been this excited for a fandom in my life. Not even Buffy compares because in Buffy you had, you had, um, factions, you had, mm -hmm. you know, the Willetera safety zone. If you were queer, that's where you were safe. If you went, to the main Buffy boards. It was a oh, bloodbath. No. And not just because the show's about vampires. It was a bloodbath because there were some seriously effed up mother truckers who would gay bash like nothing. Oh. And 
that doesn't exist in the Erper fandom. We all love each other. We are all supportive of each other. There is no straight faction versus gay faction. It is all everybody together. This is the first time I've watched a television series. Can you tell I'm excited? First time I've ever watched a television series where <laughs> I am not just in it for the queer relationship. I am there because I legitimately love every single character, even the bad guys. It is the most fulfilling and wonderful and validating and you know affirmational television series and it's <laughs> I, yes it's like i wish i'd had this growing up oh my god you know it's just so incredible to sit there and go this is this is a beautiful love letter and thank you so much canada <laughs> are you i know you just said before are you crying but why on earth be one of the things you would cry about um. <laughs> Uh, no, I haven't. I have yet to cry over an episode of Winona Earp, including the season two finale. So people are probably going to say I'm dead inside. But, oh my God. <laughs> but uh, I'm not saying that, that I would never cry for at Winona Earp. I'm sure, I'm positive that there will be some episode, you know, maybe let's say 12 seasons from now, because it's going to be a perpetual show that is on for the rest of our oh lives, God. like Supernatural. It deserves to be on, unlike Supernatural. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you know, some some point down the line, yes, they're totally going to make me cry. Absolutely. That uh, hasn't happened yet, though. That is amazing. I love I love hearing all the passion. I like it's, It was like, Man, we should start talked about this in the beginning instead of getting like really dark because now I'm just like, whoa, like that passion is amazing and it's fantastic. And this is why I love talking to people because I love talking and hearing their passions. It's like my passion in life is to hear your passion. Ah, how many more times can I say it? <laughs> just try to fit that's, the word passion in one amazing. time. Just one more time. Okay. Um, passion fruit is horribly bitter and I don't <laughs> like it. Wait. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, that's great. <laughs> But seriously, like, I don't understand why it's called passion fruit when it's so bitter. <laughs> because sometimes love is bitter. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but wow, that was, that was very passionate and very amazing. I feel like we should have just talked about that from the start. Woo! And I understand that. Like, I, I do feel that because I know when I started live tweeting the Wyona Earp, which everyone's disappointed that I haven't finished that. I understand. I'm disappointed in myself. Um, but it was just like everyone was so welcoming. Just right off the bat was just like, you're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. This is fantastic. And I've never seen a fandom so sweet and so welcoming and just like, come, welcome. Here's all the stuff. So like literally two people came in front of me and were like, Here's everything you need to know about the community. Here are like this, this, and these people, and this, 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 and podcasts, and all this fun stuff. Like, there was a fucking welcoming pamphlet just about talking about all the amazing stuff. Like, never been that way before. Yeah. Never felt so welcome. Never been someone that's like, you're going to absolutely love this. Here's your map. Have fun. Yes. What? Yes. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Like, just the culture by itself is just so beautiful and like I unfortunately I've seen people talk crap about the fandom and I'm just like what kind of person are you <laughs> that you can somehow find something bad to go with this like what what kind of life do you lead um anyway it's just beautiful and I hope that that just spreads mm -hmm. through anything because if anything else in this world can just have an ounce of that kind of acceptance and looking out for each other and anything 
man, this world's going to be a better place. Absolutely. I think that, or that ERPers are really a representation of what utopia could be. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm, I'm like debating whether I should just like dive into this and be like, should I ask you all of this different stuff about wine and herb? But we've also almost been talking for two yeah. hours. <laughs> you can have me back and on. Your wife is... You can bring me back on. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Feel free. Hell, when after you watch wine and herb season three, and I get through season two, because I already know I ain't gonna be able to catch up all the way. <laughs> we should totally just come on and just talk all about it. It is a date. All I'm holding you to it. that right now. Yes, <laughs> please do, because I always want people to come back, and I always want them to share my stories. And I feel like we've talked so much that we haven't really had time to dive into the things that you love. I mean, other, of course, than theater, the theater. which was so nice was so nice talking to somebody from the arts because a lot of people I talk to seem to have very technical jobs. Yeah, It's very interesting. Like, so many people is like, I'm in science. I'm a woman in STEM. And I'm just like, this is fantastic. But at the same time, there's more to life than just STEMs. Don't tell Delaney that. She will prove me wrong somehow. <laughs> She'll I use plants feel it. to prove you wrong. She will but she Exactly. She will use a stem from plants to tell me that no everything it comes from stems. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is actually a movement now to change the change it from stem to steam. What the And Go ahead. And so that would be science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop anyone from adding, from being more inclusive inside the female empowerment thing. You know, and whatever. Well, because- Life changes all the time. I don't. I'm not gonna fuss about it just because I got accustomed to something. <laughs> well, it's important because arts are vital, even within yes. the scientific community. Art is vital. Um, it provides nuance. It provides uh, different angle to look at things from uh, that sometimes when you're single focused uh you lose sight of so yeah and, and really it also is is important uh you know because we as a culture as a society there is a sort of dislike of the arts the arts are for the you know elite the arts are for people who are self-important and and who um can afford to put that sort of energy into things that quote don't matter and that's so not true Uh, the the arts yeah exactly continue the the arts are vital and important and part of what makes any country successful long term so this fact that we've pulled the arts out of the schools we've pulled the arts you know and you know out of mainstream media even television how much of television is reality television it's disgusting. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. Yeah. I say that as I love like re- like I love competitive cooking and antique shows, but continue. So so adding the A for art into that acronym is so important for I think the survival <laughs> of of our future going forward because it also puts the same amount of importance on art as it does on science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And honestly, I feel like if a lot of people just moved past that, that whole 
you know, oh, this goes against something that I've become accustomed to. It, it you know, it makes me uncomfortable. The world could be a so much bigger place. Oh, yeah. Because I, I feel like a lot of issues that we come through with, like, changing stuff is just that people are like, well, I'm not accustomed to this, and it makes me uncomfortable, and they just don't want to relearn something. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's frustrating. It's just like, what do, like... Another thing about representation, Mm -hmm. they're so used to seeing one thing on TV all the freaking time that when we go to change something, they're just like, well, why do you need it? Yeah. And I'm like, well, why do you need it your way? Right. Yeah. Change is good. Change is what helps us grow as individuals and as communities and as countries. And as long as it's forward moving change, not backward moving change. And so, yeah, uh, I think we're we'll get there we'll get there i don't want to go down a whole other tangent about the current state of our country because that's a whole other show but (laughs) and we've already made this episode dark enough (laughs) is this the darkest time so yeah (laughs) oh my god it it like well the beginning of this podcast was and i apologize for that again because clearly you can cut this together you seem to be a very happy person you can cut this together however you want (laughs) it will it will be very organic like as much as sometimes i'll say shit that i'm just like oh god i wish i said it another way but i keep it in there anyway because this is this is it this is reality and while while we like to splice it and change it to what we to basically to fit our ideal image of what something should be. Sometimes embracing those flaws is the best thing you can do for it. Yes. Well said. Yay! <laughs> so, I don't want to keep you from your wife. Thank you. And I certainly know mine keeps peeping down the stairs, like <laughs> tapping that invisible watch that she doesn't have <laughs> to tell me that it's uh, almost 1 o'clock in the morning. So, but definitely we need to make a date. Mm-hmm. Preferably after Wyona season three has come out, yes. just because I know when it does come out, ain't no one gonna have time. Nope. <laughs> so to to totally come back and talk about it, because I would love to talk about your passions. I'd love to talk representation in TV. I'd love to talk more gay all the time, all the time gay. That's all I'm here for. Yes. <laughs> That's how you get me to things. That's how I came to Wyona Earp. They said there are gay there's, and I said okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm on my way. Yeah. I like to say I came for the gay and stayed for the cray. Oh, but that's on a t-shirt somewhere. It might be now. I don't know. If they did, they stole my idea. <laughs> oh, no. Actually, I think Laura said that. So, no, really, I stole Laura's idea. Laura, I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> I mean, that's how that's how life works. It's like, I made this up. Oh, wait. No, I did not. <laughs> oh, well. I always try to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> I try to, too. It just doesn't it doesn't work out. Mm. Go to bed! <laughs> ah, I need to. But first, tell people where they can find you. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Never Heard of Jen. You can also find me on Twitter at EFA underscore podcast. You can find the podcast at EFAPodcast.com. The fan bus at FandrusFanbus.com. And you can also find us on Facebook at EFA Podcast. And we are also on iTunes. So you should totally check us out there and give us a positive review. As you should with mine, because I never say it. And thus, look, I have no reviews on my podcast. <laughs> oh, well, that's fine with me. I just like to talk. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. I should probably follow your personal account and stop pulling up your podcast account every time I want to talk to you guys. But, uh... 
Never been known to do things the correct way the first time. Whatever's clever. So, <laughs> whatever's clever. So, yes, um, thank you once again so much for coming on, and we hope to see everyone again soon. Great. Bye. And that's, that's fantastic fascinating just like how the herb like i i recently went into the herb fan fiction fuck 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 <laughs> do you want to start over i guess i should have warned you before that i am not very suave <laughs> at talking i'm not very good at talking period i have a really funny story to go along with that <laughs> and how my family is really bad at language in general um, apparently when we were younger, like they, like in school, they would, when you would decided to take an extra clear, I'm so glad I'm getting this out now. You used to take special classes, extra like Spanish, like an ex extracurricular. Yeah. Classes. Um, like you would bring home a sheet and your parents would have to fill it out to see what their expectations was, which I don't know why, why does it matter? And my father literally wrote on my sister's expectation sheet for Spanish that, um, how could she learn to speak Spanish when she can't even speak English? <laughs> and it's just, this is our life. We're just not great at speaking at all. I don't understand. Anyway, <clears throat> I wanted to get that away because somehow making fun of myself makes the words come out better. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's start again. Sure, sure. <clears throat>